0: If you are ready to jump into God's word, let me just say, let me just hear you say amen. 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 All right. All right. All right. So we've been looking at 2 Kings. We've talked a little bit about um, some incredible, you know, connection points and saw some incredible things through the life of, of this prophet named Elisha. And this man has done some incredible things in his ministry. And Pastor Xavier kicked us off by playing with the whistle. We talked a little, playing to the whistle, going all the way and connecting with what God wants you to do and not giving up, not turning back, going beyond the point of no return. And it was an incredible message. We talked a little bit about how we need to be empty enough to receive what God wants for us. Last week, we were talking a little bit about how something might be missing. There was a miracle with an act that was incredible. And as I'm contemplating this, I'm like, you know what? I skipped a story. And I skipped a story because when I was looking at this story, I was thinking about only one side of that story. And, and then I'm like, you know what, God, what is, what's in here? There's something in here. And this idea came up to me. As I was reading a story, I came across this, um, you know, uh, sports history fact, all right? Um, in 2004, the woman's Um, relay team, they were favored to win the Olympics in in that category. They were the favorites to win the gold medal in the 4 by 100 relay at that Olympic Games in Athens, Greece. The team featured a roster of incredible people. They had uh, a key runner on their team, Marion Jones, and she was a sprinter who had won four gold medals the previous Olympics in Australia. She had four medals under her belt, gold medals. She had the skills to pay the bills. She was on the team with the rest of the Americans. And indeed, this American team was off to a really good start. They, they started running and they're making strides. Things are going, they're going well. And when Jones took the baton she started running the second leg of the race and she started making up space she started to catch up and and actually gain some ground as she ran her 100 meters And she started to approach Lauren Williams, who had run, who was about to run the third leg of the race. And when Williams began running, as Jones got close, she reached back. But as she reached back, she failed to grab the baton. And she's passing the baton. She tries to thrust it. Marion tries to thrust it three different times, and she cannot grab it for whatever reason. They don't connect. They just cannot make the exchange. And so as she's pushing and running, and they're going, and the other competitors, are running beside them. All this is happening in the middle of this, you know, event. Jones thrusts it a fourth time, and it finally connects. There's a connection there, and the next runner is able to kick it into high gear and go. However, say however. However, by the time that they finally connected, by the time that they finally made the exchange, They were outside of the 20-yard exchange zone, and therefore they were disqualified. Because of them stepping outside of this 20-yard zone where the connection, the handoff had to happen, there was a parameter in place by which they were to continue the race. Because they were outside of that zone, they became disqualified from winning the race. They could not compete any longer. They were disqualified. They were held back. Now, as I'm considering this, this topic here, like, how many of us have been held back by something in our lives? Have you ever been held back before? You set a personal best record, and yet that team held you back. You were excited to jump a grade, but that GPA held you back. You secured that degree, but you know what? That sparse resume held you back. Something held you back. You know what? You... have gained the most seniority but your rolodex your contact list your connections held you back you exhibited the most talent you had the superlative at you know the graduation time the most likely to succeed you had the most raw talent ability you had the most amount of dream and passion you were the one that everyone was going to look towards you for success but yet, those friends held you back. Ever experienced that? Ever seen, that? ever you witnessed this? Witnessed this before as you're looking around at different people? You know, whether it is a whole slew of things held back, disqualified, it could be your tongue. Held back by that tongue, held back by your etiquette, held back by that temper, held back by those habits held back, held back by your health, held back by your zip code, held back by your bank account, held back, disqualified, held back by your insecurities, your inclinations, held back by your inaction, held back by fill in the blank, just held back. You know, it kind of reminds me of the words that Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. He said this, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah. And none of them was cleansed. But only Naaman, the Syrian. See, many were afflicted. Few were healed. Many were afflicted. Many were held back. Many afflicted. Few healed. Many afflicted. Many held back. And unfortunately... In this story here, I see so many different, different. Disqualifiers, situations and reasons by which people are being held back, miracles are being withheld, miracles are not coming to the forefront, not being experienced and engaged. Why? Because they missed the exchange window, they missed something that was necessary. There was something that came in and on technicality disqualified, ruled them out, and discontinued the possibility. Could there be something, church, this morning that has held us back? Could there be something that at some times in our lives comes and holds us back? Back from the potential, the purpose, the calling that God has for us, for you, for your family, for your marriage. If I'm in the right place to say amen. amen, all right, if I'm not, I'll find my way later. Uh, so here we go. I want us to just take a look at this story because um, I'm not really concerned to look at Naaman. We're going to look at Naaman. Jesus said there were many lepers in the time of Elisha but only one was healed name it there were many And Jesus is talking within the context of speaking to the people of God the Israelites and saying hey there were many in Israel in the time of Elisha there were many Israelites that were around that had leprosy many who had this affliction but yet it was not them within the people of God that got healed it was this foreigner It was this other person. Why? Because there was so many here that were disqualified and held back by something. Today, my desire is not to really look at Naaman. We'll see some things, but I want to look at the miracle. Can we look at the miracle? What were the disqualifiers? What were the different things that came to hold back and rule out that which what God wanted to do? It says right here that Naaman was healed. So spoiler alert, you know the ending of the story. He was healed. But can we just stop and consider What almost didn't allow that to be the case. Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus, just to sit here and just to be encouraged by your word. And Father, challenge us. Holy Spirit, speak to us, Lord God, because I know that there is a reason why you have this message for this time and this day. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to take a look at right here from the get-go all right? Right here from the beginning is the fact that there is this man. It tells us, let's go back to his story, right? Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, we we are told that he is going to be healed, that many were afflicted, but yet this man is healed. Let's just open up our, our, our text here to see his story. It tells us in verse 1, the king of Aram, or the king of Syria, all right, whichever translation you have, had a great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was might, a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy first thing that I want you to understand that will derail you, that will rule out your miracle, that will completely disqualify you from receiving it, is us having this perception, this ideology, this mindset that, you know what, our public perfection will resolve our private plagues. Naaman had everything going for him. Here is a man who is esteemed by the king, a man who is determined to be a mighty and of valor, a guy who is a commander within the army. This dude has some prestige. He has accomplished some things. He's got some accolades within his belt, some notches on his belt. He has some things he has accomplished and done by which he can be proud of and excited. And you know what? That which he has done brings glory. It brings, you know, admiration. Uh, Admiration of others. It brings um, appreciation from others. Here is a man who is wealthy. He has, you know, if he's the second in command, he's, he, he's the commander of the, of the armies. You know, he's within a high rank in leading other men in, in, in the army of this king. He's bringing glory. He's bringing victories. He is accomplishing something good for his nation. Here is a person who by every means seems to be successful, looks to be successful. He has the exterior appearance of success and something to be emulated and desired. Look at him. He's done this and that, his exploits. You know, did they have songs that were sung about him? I don't know. But people were probably tooting his horn. The king obviously held him in high esteem, as we're going to see in this story. But here is a man who has all this going on, and yet the Bible says, but he was a leper. But He's got everything going on, but he is wealthy, but he is successful, but he is good looking, but he is X, Y, Z, but the minute those three little words, three little letters come together and it comes into our story, doesn't it just change the trajectory? Ever been, you know, having a conversation with someone who's done you wrong and they give you an apology and then they say, but you're like, wait, 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 where did the apology go? It's gone. It's done. It's over. Everything else that came before makes no difference now. All of that accolade, all of that success, all of that stuff, all of the public perfection does not resolve the private plague. See, Naaman was a man that on the exterior looked good, but you know what? Underneath all that armor, underneath the clothes, underneath the sheath, underneath everything else, there was a spot. And that spot was causing incredible distress within his life. That spot was leading him on a trajectory that would eventually lead to the the loss of his limbs and the loss of his life. See, if left untreated, well, honestly, if just experienced, leprosy within that time had no no solution. Leprosy within the times of the Bible had no uh, remedy. There was no cure for leprosy. So, underneath the exterior, of success, the, the, the exterior of success there was an interior the the inside struggle of a man that was dying and not only was it a, a death sentence that he's experiencing leprosy but this is also a situation by which he was going to be ostracized publicly it carries with it a pain that is social Why? Because in the Bible times, if you were to to contract leprosy, you were considered unclean. You were considered to be somebody that was detestable. Why? Because leprosy was communicable. Leprosy was contagious. You be around somebody, you hug somebody, you you exchange, you know, uh, 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 an embrace. And that contagion can spread. And so, in Bible times, when people were, you know, considered to be leper and found out, discovered to be a leper, they would have to be excommunicated from society and live within these, these communes, these, these little cloisters of other leprous and diseased people. I mean, you're, 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 being step, you're stepping away from your family and your heritage and your culture and your home and your business and your, and your career and your purpose and, and your plans. Can you see that this is not just something that's going to take his life one day, but it's taking his life now? It is bringing disruption and pain. And you know what? Although he has everything going on the outside, everything is breaking down on the inside. And if we look at leprosy throughout this book, leprosy is a sign, it's a type, it's, it's a, a, an example, a sign of the destructive power of sin. When Miriam challenged her brother Moses, when Miriam came up and she started quarreling and and backbiting with her brother Aaron and saying how, you know what, is he the man of God only? Is he the only one who's picked by God? And she started to question the plan and the will of God over her brother Moses' life. And the fact that God had appointed him to be the leader and deliverer, the one who would lead the people out of Egypt. When Miriam began to question and complain and go against the plan of God, it tells us in the word that she She was stricken with leprosy. The sin within her life birthed this disease within her body. Thank the Lord that God restored and healed her after her contrition and repentance. But leprosy was considered to be a connection, a a sign, an example of sin. And isn't it interesting that just a little bit of sin can ruin the whole thing? Isn't it interesting that just a little bit of leaven can ruin the whole batch? Isn't it interesting that, you know what, that which starts as a little spot can spread and the spores can multiply and then one infection will lead to another and one misery will bring another, one sin will drag another, and then lo and behold, it tells us in James that watch out, no man is tempted by God, but man is carried about by their own desires. When our desires gives birth to sin, sin, when it fully grows, it gives birth to death. See, our public perfection does not resolve our private plague, and the most private of all plagues, the thing that everybody don't, <laughs> we don't even have to sit here and ask all the questions, you just ask yourself and think about this, is there something that has been hidden? How many of us say, you know what, hey pastor, let me sit down to you and sit down and come to, t- can I book a meeting with you pastor this week, because I want to talk to you about my sins. Anybody excited? I'll, I'm taking phone calls for this week, I don't have anything to do. Anybody? No. We don't want to show off. We want to put the armor on. We want to put the clothes on and we want to, you know, spray the cologne and the perfume and want to mask it up and we want to, you know, conceal that which is rotten and broken, but one little bit of sin will spoil the batch and if we leave it unchecked, it will completely rob us and derail us. It will disqualify us. How many have been disqualified by the sin of their habits? The sins that they have so become accustomed to. How many have been disqualified and lost the anointing of God because they have just been led astray by a little spot that grew just like that and it became something uncontrollable later on. Many a man have been disqualified. Many an evangelist have been disqualified. Many a person, a parent, a husband, a a loved one have been disqualified. Why? Because of the effects of sin. So we have to be careful about putting on the appearance on the outside. Everything is okay. What else do I see in this situation? That disqualifies us, that could have disqualified Damon. See, I, I see this man. He is hiding in plain sight. He is successful. He has it all going on, but yet there's an issue within his life, and he has been putting everything on and suppressing all of that. It does not tell us how long he had leprosy. It does not tell us what stage of the disease he was in. But the, you know, I read one commentator say that the average lifespan of a person with leprosy was about 18 and a half years. So is he at the beginning of that process? Is he in the middle? Is he in the end? Is he approaching? If he was in the middle or the end, I don't think he'd be leading in and fighting wars and gaining victories for his king. He's probably at the onset. He might be in the beginning stages. He might have just some things, and one day as he's at home and he, you know, takes off his armor, he takes off, you know, what, the, the, the clothes, he's changing, and, and all of a sudden his undergarments show, you know, his forearm or whatever it may be, or, or he exposes, you know, from his gauntlets, he exposes his hands, or, or he takes off the sandals, and there his feet are exposed. I don't know what it was that she saw, but the Bible tells us in verse 2, at this time, the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would be healed. Of his leprosy. See, I don't know what's going on and how long he has been hiding. The armor has been on, concealing that which is happening in private, plaguing his thoughts, keeping him awake, ruining his hopes for the future. I don't know how long it's been, but one day this one girl notices the spot within his skin within the confines of the home, as she is serving within that house, she spots something that is wrong. And you know what? Here's the deal that I want us to understand. Many have been disqualified. Why? Because they feel like compassion lives within the jurisdiction of our circumstances. Yet compassion lies outside the influence of circumstances. See, stop and think about this girl. (laughs) She is a Jewish girl who used to live in Israel who used to live with her family and friends within her context and culture, who had dreams and goals and aspirations of one day maybe being married or having her own family, of growing up within her family and being around her family. And you know what? Experiencing everything that every young girl dreams to one day be able to experience. I don't know how many you know, scrapbooks she had about her wedding day. I don't know what plans she had for college. I don't know any of that. But you know, one thing I do know, I do know that this girl finds herself in the house of a Syrian commander. She finds herself in the house of an uh, Aramean, she finds herself in a place that is far away from home. She has been captured, she has been exiled, she has been taken out of her context. And she's been commanded to work and serve someone else. See, maybe you had a dream, little girl, of being a lawyer or a doctor or whatever it was, but yet you're going to be a maid. You had a dream of being able to to plan your course, but yet here's what you're going to do. You're going to serve and have no say. You are going to be a slave girl, and this is what you are now going to experience. These are your circumstances. Now stop and think about this for a second. This young girl, as she's there, being forced to serve a master that has come in, invaded her homeland, who has brought death and disease, has brought, you know, plight and judgment and suffering to many families, to her own family, who has separated her from her land, who has done all these different things. How many of us would be just so enamored and excited to bring about the well-being of such a person? Imagine if this man was. You know, we, we might not know, we might not, you know, relate or we might not not, not place him exactly. The name Naaman doesn't really ring a bell or, or, or surge within me emotions and feelings. But let me ask you this. What if this girl was captured by Hitler? Does that, does that put you in the right frame of mind and context? Does that bring up some emotions within you? If this little girl was, you know, brought by this man, captured by this man, and now is being subjugated by this man to go ahead and serve her family, she is enslaved by him. And this girl looks at her circumstance and says, she could have said this, yes, he's got that spot on him. Yes, this is going to expedite my situation. You know what? This could be my vengeance. He has got me here to the point where I can't. I have to serve him and I have to suffer away from my home and away from my family. And now I am stuck in this situation. Good. He is going to die one day. He is going to suffer terribly. He's going to lose his fingers and his toes and his limbs. And she could have gone on this track. Why? Because of the fact that this is a person who caused her pain, who ravished her nation, who completely was complicit in her current situation. Yet, yeah, let me tell you, church, many have been disqualified because they fail to understand that compassion lives outside of the jurisdiction of our circumstances. Would that my master would go to Samaria and speak to the prophet, oh, that he would go. Oh man, I wish he could just show up to Samaria if he would just leave Damascus and leave Aram, if he would just leave this place and go all the way over there. If my master, who I have to serve, who has taken me out of my context, who has brought sickness and pain and disease and whatever and hurt and struggles, Into my homeland and my culture. If he would just go back to my land and he would come and meet the prophet, he would be healed. Wow. Wow. Can you stop and just think about the magnitude of that for a second? Our circumstances do not dictate our purpose. Our circumstances will not dictate our attitude. Our circumstances has no authority and no dominion over how we choose to react within such circumstances. And so some of us, we've been disqualified way too long, not experiencing the miracles of God. Why? Because we have placed our attention on the circumstances and we have forgotten the very call to be compassionate to see the need within the world around us, to see the need in even those who have afflicted us. Didn't Jesus say, pray for your enemies? Did not Jesus say, hey, anyone can invite only those who owe them something. Anyone can be invited. You can do anything good for those who will do good to you in return, but to those who have hurt you, wronged you, trespassed against you, to those you should show compassion. Lord, Help us to not be disqualified by such things. Not only that, look at this, this detail. I've read this story many times. I've read this story so many times, and I love this story, and I get encouraged by it in so many different ways. But one detail jumped out at me this week, and that was this. Look at who she shared her yearning, her compassion with. Who was it? Who did she speak to? Oh, that my master would just go to Samaria. If she's saying my master, she's not talking to the master. She turned to his wife. See, many of us fail to experience the miracles of God in our lives. Why? Because we have failed to understand the assignment. See, here's a woman who receives the message. Yeah, she, the little girl does not go to Naaman, but the little girl goes to Naaman's wife. Stop and consider this with me, church. She goes to his wife. Naaman might be out fighting a battle. Naaman might have left for the day. He might have donned his armor and gone out in his perfection. And everything is good. Everything is right in the world. And left at home is the wife and the servant girl. And the servant girl shares her compassionate outcry. She says, my master, let me tell you, mistress. Let me just tell you, mistress, that if if my master would go, he would be healed. Consider this with me, before Naaman ever hears about the possibility, before Naaman ever experiences the potential, before he ever considers that there might be a different outcome available for him in his life, this miracle could have been derailed. It could have been held back. Why? Because a wife could have misunderstood her assignment. And I'm saying a wife just because that's who's in this picture. I'm not speaking about women in general, okay? Don't get it twisted and don't stone me after. Landing on her lap. Placed right there within her grasp. Is a seed. Am I going to be. The gatekeeper. Of hope. Or am I going to be. The person. Who explains it away. This woman received news that her husband could be made well, that something could change in his circumstance and situation. And she had a choice to make in that moment. See, sometimes I wonder, are we losing out on the miracles, the plans of God, the purposes of God in our lives? Because we are analyzing that which he told us to just relay. Relay. Are we failing to understand our, our, our assignment? See, God told the message to the woman through the servant girl. The seed came, the hope came, the potential, the possibility came. It was placed within her lap. And yet, right there in that moment, she could have said, I'm the gatekeeper of this. And I'm going to analyze all the reasons why this can't happen. Therefore, never bring it to my husband. Or I'm going to look at this and say, this is what I've got. I got to tell you what I received. See, some of us, we are too busy analyzing that which God has called us to do, that which God has called our neighbors to do, that which God has directed us to to believe, to be, to experience, to, to encounter. We're too busy in the process of analyzing that we just fail to be and do and experience that which God has for us. This woman could have disqualified her husband from a miracle if she would have said, well, you know what? Actually, thank you, little servant girl. You know, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to tell us what we need to do? And by the way, little servant girl, there is no remedy and cure for leprosy. You know what, all the doctors in, in, in Syria have looked at my husband. You know what, we've gone on private you know, uh, medical appointments and nobody knows, but we have gone through every specialist. We have done everything. We have looked at every science book, every article, every peer reviewed journal. We have looked at everything. And you know what, I am going to decide that this is not worthy to bother my husband. I am not gonna give him any false hope. I'm not going to bother him and wait his time on such things I'm going to just say that this is disqualified done null and void it is not possible how many of us are analyzing that which God has called us to do and say maybe God has said I just want you to relay a message go tell this person that I'm going to heal them I just want you to step out in faith and say this to that person that you know what circumstances in their lives are about to change I'm not asking you to figure out how it's going to happen just go tell them it's going to happen because they need to hear this message See, how many of us are controlling the plan of God within the lives of another person? Why? Because we become the gatekeeper and we become the harbinger of death as opposed to the bringer of life. We have decided that we're going to take it into our own hands and say, you know what, I know best and I'm going to analyze this as opposed to bringing it to the person and say, Angelo, you decide, what do you want to do with it? This is what God said, this is what's possible, Kevin, do you want it? That's all. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what you can or cannot do or how it's going to happen, but here it is. This woman became for name and praise the Lord. She became the harbinger of goodness. She became the gatekeeper of good. She became the encourager within the circumstance, and she brought the message to this man. What else? Sometimes I feel like, have we been disqualified? Because you know what? Pride has placed things just outside of our reach. If we look at the story, it tells us and it goes on when Naaman finally hears the message that there's a prophet that could heal him in, look at this, look at incredible how this is, in the place where he has ravaged, the place that he has hurt, that he has plundered, that he has brought you know, the instruments of war against. In that place, there is a prophet and that prophet knows the living God and that living God can heal him of his disease. Naaman hears what is going on. And so what does he do? He, he gets ready to go. He talks to the king. The king is excited. The king says, yes, absolutely go. Uh, I give you a letter. I give you my recommendation. Go in peace and go get healed. Naaman, before he leaves, picks up 150 pounds of Gold. He picks up pounds and pounds and pounds of silver. He picks up garments and garments and garments in order to bring about a payment for a miracle. This man goes and he picks a a, a chariot and he grabs an entourage of people and they leave and they show up to Israel. They go to Samaria. They leave and go on a trek for miles and miles and miles. And look at what happens here. Verse 5, when the messenger returned to the king and asked him, why have you returned so soon? Oh, I'm in the wrong place, sorry. Wrong passage. When he finally arrives and he gets there, he eventually gets to Elisha's house. When the king of Israel read the letter, da, da, da he said, oh, what's going to happen? Verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and awaited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him. And with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became excited. But Naaman became angry. See, pride will place things right outside of our reach. This man who comes with his success, with his armor, with his prestige and his accolades, he brings an entourage with him. He has chariots and camels. He has, you know, riches and glory. He has clothes to pay for the miracle. He has all sorts of things that he's going to, to bestow. He shows up all the way. Not the, He doesn't go to Elisha to begin with. He goes to the king. He goes from one place of a palace to another palace, one place of prominence to another place of prominence. He goes from another place of prestige to another place of prestige. And so what happens is when he shows up there, the king, I can't help you. You're you're coming to look for what you want in the wrong place. You got to go to Samaria. You got to go see the prophet. You got to go to his home. And when he arrives there with all that fanfare, what does he do? He does not even have the, the, the decency, the humility to step into the house of the prophet, but he awaits out. Side. See, most likely, Elisha's home was a very modest and humble place. It wasn't regal and adorned like the palace. It was a place that was modest, small, and controlled. We know that it was probably a place that was not exquisite. And this man shows up, and he stays outside. And by the way, he waits very impatiently. Sensing this, Elisha says, all right, you won't come in, all right, you got all this fanfare, all right, everything's going on, you have a a preconceived notion of how this is about to happen, okay, no problem, all right, I want you to go, oh, by the way, I'm not stepping outside, Uh, servant, can you go over there and go tell them what to do? See, this man comes hundreds of miles, shows up to a place of the palace. The palace does not receive him, sends him to a place of humility and humbleness. And in that place, the the prophet, the man of God, doesn't even have the, the, the decency within Naaman's mind to step outside and meet him and receive the fanfare and say, wow, this is awesome. This is an incredible place. Wow, I can't believe, look at all the beautiful things you've brought. And he does not even step outside to greet me. Not even a glass of cold water when I came. All this way, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. I'm this I'm that I'm tired nothing he sends a servant and says go wash in the Jordan he becomes angry church I wonder how many of us are being disqualified held back by what God wants to do in our lives because we allow pride to rob us of what God wants we say you know what I have to have it this way in that way and in my way It's got to work out this way or that way. It's got to work out in this time and that way. And whatever it may be, we allow pride to rob us of what God wants to do in our lives. We disqualify the miracle because we have a preconceived notion. And isn't it incredible that Elisha sends him to the Jordan? And in his pride, Naaman, he says, what? He's sending me to the Jordan. First of all, where is it? He turns around. It's not there. For all of you guys who like to to study the details of the Bible, if we look, Samaria and the Jordan are miles and miles and miles and miles apart. It's like he said, yeah, go over to Boston and go, um, go wash yourself in the Boston Harbor but I came all this way, I went miles and miles, and I got here, and you want me to go over there, and you know what, why do you want me to go to the Jordan, I've heard about the Jordan, the Jordan is mucky, it's dirty, it's a stream that doesn't have, you know, don't I have better streams in Damascus, don't I have better streams over there where I come from, isn't the water there perfect, and the water here nasty, uh, hello, dude, are you dirty, can you, can you take your eyes off of your situation and take your eyes off of your pride and can you just humble yourself to the point to realize that you are dirty and you are filled with spores and filled with disease and you are dying and you need something to resolve your circumstance and so you are looking at the means by which the prophet wants you to be healed. See, he didn't understand in his pride that the Jordan was not just a place that was dirty. He didn't understand that the Jordan was the place where the Israelites crossed on dry ground when Joshua led the people through. He doesn't understand that just a few, you know, days, weeks, months before Elisha came through with Elijah and they struck the Jordan and a miracle occurred and the waters parted. He does not know that just a a little bit later that an axe head was about to float on top of those waters. Why? Because that was a place of miracle. What Elisha saw as a place of promise, a place of miracles, this man through his pride saw as a place of jest, ill repute, a place to be criticized, a place that was not good enough. And so pride robbed him of that. So he goes mad, angry, Unexcited and he stomps away leaves and goes to the jordan and as he's going Is he second guessing whether he's going home or he's going to follow through on the instructions? I don't know But at one point in time he starts complaining and another servant hears him come on Thank you, god That there's people in our lives that are going to come in and step in and help us and lead us and guide us through Thank god that we're not in this journey by ourselves and left to our own devices and left to our own thoughts Because we will derail ourselves every time if we just have ourselves as our own counselors thank god that there's others that god places through his grace and his mercy to help us along the way and the bible tells us that in that situation when verse 13 his officers tried to reason with him and said sir if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult wouldn't you have done it See, church, I think that sometimes we are disqualified. We are held back in God's miracles. Why? Because we're enamored by the complex and we discard the simplistic. See, the Bible tells us that it's a simple gospel that will save us. It's the mystery of God, and it's not something for us to to make so complex and crazy. It is a step of faith that we will choose to receive. We have some concept within us. I don't know what is broken within us that we think the harder it is, the more complicated it is, the more words. This is my issue. The more words I say, the better I'll be received. The longer I preach, the better they'll receive. And you know what? It's not the complexity of something that is the, the, the great power in it. It's the simplicity of a thing that can affect a great change see if this was something incredibly hard if this was rocket science or if this was brain surgery or a heart transplant then you would say wow that is worthy of a challenge that is worthy for me to pursue that is worthy for me to follow after but he's telling me to go dip in a dirty river seven times that is incredibly simplified and idiotic to go dip in a dirt, a dirty man dip in a dirty river seven times and I'll be healed. Hello, where's, is there going to be a doctor there? Is there going to be a, a medical team available? Are they going to give me any science? Is there anything that's going to be complex, complicated, and actually worked out and established that will help me accomplish this and receive this? No. If it was difficult, you would have done it. How many of us have rejected the simple invitations that God has given us that will lead us to our miracles. How many of us say, you know what, nah, that's way too simple. Take every thought captive, nah, nah, nah. No thanks that's such an easy that's such a cliche answer pastor you're telling me that I can overcome this by just choosing love oh come on that, no you don't understand my spouse pastor you don't understand you know the situation within our home that I have to prefer them instead of myself that that the, that simple answer that is very complex and actually working it out that simplicity of that thing is what I need that simple command that God has given is what I need we exchange that but we say you know what give me the 20 page report give me the you know the dissertation uh, of this this person and that's going to be what i'm going to follow i'm going to follow the seventeen point plan of xyz person and that's going to lead me and that's going to satisfy me that's going to save me but yet god has said it's just simple by faith through the confession of your mouth faith in jesus christ you shall be saved if you go and you dip yourself seven times, you shall be cleansed. He didn't say, maybe you will be cleansed. There's a, there is a promise that is given. You shall be saved. See, God gives us something very simple, and it's simple, yet to those who are completely overwhelmed by pride, it becomes too complex to receive. Those who love the complex are conflicted how the message, which is so simple, is complicated within their hearts of pride. God have mercy. I'll give you one last one. Team, you all can come on back. Tells us in verse 14. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Guys, I've already told you he who seeks God finds more than he seeks. You know what? He, he goes and he encounters not only the reversal of his disease, but he encounters something better. God makes his skin like the skin of a young child. Imagine that battle-weary, battle-hardened, you know, full of scarred commander who has gone through several battles and challenges, who has had some scars within his body, who is now living with the spores and the aftermath and the residue of all that leprosy. It tells us that he did not just have that canceled, dried up, and a marking for him always to remember. It tells us that he experienced something far greater. His skin was better than the skin of a child. And the concept here is this. How many of us are disqualified because of our pride, because of our enamoring of the complex? But we get so sidetracked By the fine line between absurdity and faith. There's a fine line between what's absurd and what's faith. But let me tell you this it's only absurd until it happens. It's only absurd until it happens. It was only absurd as he was dipping the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time. It was only absurd where every time he would take off his armor and go back down in the water and nothing happened. It's absurd there, but you know what? By the seventh time as he went down into that water, his skin begins to glow. His skin begins to change. And that which seemed absurd becomes the the means by which he received an incredible miracle. Some of us, we have just been disqualified. Why? Because it seems absurd that God would use me. It seems absurd that he would do it in this way. It seems absurd that he would recycle this pain, this grief, this issue in my life. It seems absurd that he's calling me to just do this and focus on this one thing. It's absurd that he's asking me not to, to do all this incredible stuff, but he's asking me just to sit with him and out of my being with him and experiencing him. And in the absurdity of me giving him more of my time, I actually get to be more productive with the little left that I have. It's absurd absurd that God has all of these things, but it's absurd only until it happens. Naaman goes on. I'll let you read the story for yourself, but he is a man that not only experiences the healing within his body, he accepts and receives the healing that goes into his soul, the greater healing that he mostly needed. And I wonder how many of us because we fail to understand the thin line between the absurd and what is faith, we also fail to define the wind. Naaman goes back to the prophet. The Jordan's a lot closer to his home, but he travels 20 miles more in the opposite direction and go back and talk to the prophet and share with him his appreciation for what has happened. And then he's going to have to tack on an additional 20 miles to just get back to the Jordan and keep going up his way the other hundreds of miles back home. This man wanted to truly share with the prophet, hey, something did happen in my life. And it's way more than I thought possible. And let me show you because you know what? Some of us were defining the win as the overcoming of our circumstance or the resolution of our pain or the healing of our disease or, or the return of our child back home or, or whatever it is, whatever the problem is, whatever the devoid is, whatever that may be. But what God has defined as the win is this. It's transformation of the heart. It's not just the exterior and and, and what is happening on the outside. He wants to heal the inner plague of man, the private plague that's within every heart. He wants to remove the sin that is there. And Jesus becomes the one that goes down into the waters of death. And he goes down into the waters of judgment. And he raises us up again in life as we dip in him and we come into him. We come into relationship with him again and again. He is the one that will cleanse us of all that is wrong. And he removes the stain of sin inside of our lives so this morning i want you to stand with me something was holding me back what is holding you back you know i feel like this morning my alarm clock wanted to hold me back because it didn't go off when i needed it to wanted to hold me back from being in god's house as we left the house and I needed to be here for a certain thing to to get some things ready and finish things up here in the service before church, we decided, all right, we're not going to have breakfast at home. We're going to grab it on the road. And so let me just grab something. My my kid wants some donuts. Let me just order. We ordered Dunkin' Donuts. And as we're driving past Dunkin' Donuts, I realized we passed the place. I got to turn around. We're on a place I can't turn around. So missing my mark, missing my query, missing where I needed to be, wanted to hold me back from being here and and having joy and excitement for what God wanted to do in this place today. And then as I pick up that cup of coffee, the lid comes off and it spills all over my leg and it burns my leg this morning. And I'm like, what is trying to hold me back this morning from coming into God's house, ready to praise him and glorify him? What is this? Something's trying to hold me back. I don't wanna go, right? I feel like I'm just, I, I wanna throw this cup of coffee out the window. But my son is in the back, my wife's in the back, they're watching me, and I can't lose my temper. It's qualified. Say, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what circumstances you're going through. I don't know what you're living with. I don't know. But let me tell you this there's a God. There is still a prophet in Israel, there is still a God on the throne there is still one who is faithful to not just deal with your circumstance, but one that is concerned to come and minister to you. See, Naaman, when he came back, he said, hey, look, everything that I brought, I wanna give to you, not as a payment, but as appreciation. And the prophet says, no, I don't want that. Why? Because it's not about this. I'm not the one who affected your healing. It was through faith in God that that brought you what you needed. He did the miracle. I just gave you the message. I did not analyze it or qualify it. I told you to go dip yourself. I don't know what you're going through. But let me just tell you this. God's got a plan in your life. God's got a purpose for you. God's got something incredible for you to do no matter your circumstance. No one can rob you of your compassionate connection and pursuit of his plan in your life no matter what's happening. No matter all the successes or money or fame or accolades or friends or, 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 or you know, your social media feeds and followers, it does not matter all of that. There is a God who sees the inner plagues that you have and he wants to meet you right now and he can heal you. So, will you just take the plunge? I want you to just close your eyes, Father. Speak to your people. I know that all of the things that try to rob me of wanting to be here this morning, all the things that try to get in my head and say, no, we're just gonna do something different today because I'm not feeling this anymore. Lord, I pray that you as the convictor, as you as the Holy Spirit would step into every heart and right now speak that which you are putting a finger on in every heart and every life. Lord, there is something that is hidden, something that is in secret that you want to bring out of their lives, expose it to your light. And Father, you want them to wash it away in the rivers of your grace and your mercy and your power. Lord, I don't know what it may be, but God, highlight it to your children. Lord, and if there's anybody here who's never experienced you, there was many in Israel who were disqualified, who did not receive the gospel in the times of Elisha, but yet this foreigner, this person from the outside, this guy who did not know God, who did not worship God, who did not experience God before, who did not grow up in church, who did not understand the plight in his condition, who did not understand the depravity within his own heart, yet this man is the one who is healed. God, if there's any of us here this morning that we've never confessed faith with you, we've never aligned ourselves to experience you and receive you into our hearts, God, I pray that you would right now reach out to these hearts. Start, Lord God, working inside of them, Lord. Start, Lord Jesus, speaking your words of promise and healing and transformation. In Jesus' mighty name and Father, let this week be a week, Lord where pride takes a backseat. Circumstances take a backseat. Inner struggles and plagues and hidden sins take a backseat. Lord God, every other issue of pride and and, and circumstance, complexity and and analysis, paralysis, Lord, all of that takes a backseat as your people step out in faith. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would equip them and guide them to be a church set on fire for you to accomplish your will and your work in this world. In your precious and mighty name, amen.